Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read through every Pulitzer Prize winning play since 1918, so you don't have to. Like I said, my name is Josh Heron. I am an elementary school teacher, theater lover, uh, still birthday boy. We're, we're still in two weeks of that, um, so newly 30. Um, and I am joined by, um, happy birthday. Thank you again. Uh, and I am joined, uh, by the, uh, by the stalwart professional, John Rosenberg. <laughs> Hello. Uh, and, uh, and cunning, uh, artiste, uh, Christopher Munden. Hello, Josh. Um, and this week we read 1958's uh, Look Homeward, Angel, um, which is a play by, I should find her name, um, which is a play that was adapted from a novel by- It's a Thomas, Thomas Wolfe novel. It's by Ketty Frings. Ketty Frings. K-E-T-T-I. Um, so I guess we were talking last week about autobiographical plays. I guess this play isn't autobiographical because it's Ketty wrote it, but the novel is largely autobiographical. Um, and it's another adaptation. Uh, John, do you want to give us a, a summary of what's going on in Look Homeward Angel? You know, I really would love to. So Look Homeward Angel tells the story of the Gantt family who, uh, takes place in North Carolina, I think in the, what would we say, like the late, uh, like 1915, 1916, on the cusp of the First World War. Uh, the Gants are uh, a family that own a number of properties in a small town in North Carolina. The action of the play, it's, it's a three-act structure. The first act takes place. They have a, uh, a boarding house called the Dixieland. And uh, as the play starts, we meet a colorful cast of characters that make up the people that live in the boarding house. Uh, the boarding house is run by a woman named Eliza, who is married to Mr. Gant. Eliza has a number of children with Mr. Gant. Uh, her youngest, his name is Eugene. He's a 17-year-old dreamer. I guess you could, it's fair to say it. That's probably Thomas Wolfe. Uh, he, he has an older brother named Ben, who is a bit sickly, but uh, he definitely looks up to his brother Ben, and his brother Ben definitely uh, wants for Eugene to live a life bigger than what Ben has lived so far in a small town in North Carolina. Uh, the, I think the, the real crux of the play is it is about kind of uh, family relations and uh, the young man, Eugene, kind of breaking away from the bonds of his mother, who's a bit overbearing. She is uh, the woman that runs 
the boarding house. Um, as the play starts, she's bossing around this person and that person uh, regarding uh, just taking care of the boarding house. I think the play, I thought it was going to go one way and it went a completely different direction. I thought it was kind of be uh, a play that's kind of like uh, a survey of all these people that live in the house, but it really wasn't. It really revealed itself to be a family drama. Uh, the play kind of starts to turn as a young woman shows up to rent a room that uh, Eugene slowly fall, you know, slowly meaning within 30 seconds falls in love with her. And uh, the other main person in this play is Mr. Gant who uh, owns the boarding house. And also interestingly enough, um, carves tombstones, which I didn't see coming. And he is a bit of a town drunk and uh, there's a big spectacle of him getting super drunk and everyone being like, oh, no, Mr. Gand is drunk again. His relationship with his wife is a bit tense and fraught. Uh, probably she wanting, wanting it to go one way or another. Soon there's plot points of selling property and a big one in the second act uh, is Mr. Gant, who owns this uh, tombstone place. He has this marble angel that he had gotten when he was young that he has never sold, that he still is working on. Uh, and it's probably something about dreams deferred or something like that. Um, and the wife wants him to sell his little property to be able to pay for Eugene's uh, his schooling at Chapel Hill. You wanted a summary. I'm giving you a fucking summary. Uh, and then... So the second act is kind of the husband and wife fighting about direction and paying for school. The third act, uh, Ben, the, the older brother, falls ill. He has been ill. Uh, it's about a week later. Their older brother, who's in the Navy, comes home. And unfortunately, Ben succumbs to uh, the flu, whatever the fuck he has, and he dies. The... Uh, Eugene has to decide whether he wants to follow his mom's rules or live on his own. Uh, the plot point with him being in love with this young woman kind of fizzles out because she was married. She's betrothed to someone else. And the play really ends with Eugene, uh, parentheses, Thomas Wolfe, kind of deciding to strike out on his own. And then the play ends in a triumphant note of, I don't remember. That what? almost captures how boring this play is. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Next time, we, whatever you want summarize. We, we were like, John, you, Next you guys want to summarize this motherfucker. <laughs> we are like, John, you got to summarize it. And he was like, I'll summarize it. And we were like, got to be coherent. <laughs> and he did it. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, well done. What's we'll summarize? Um, so, know, did either missed... of you read this play? Yeah, yeah we read, we read it. this play. We read this okay, today. I, I put in some fake stuff to see if you actually read it. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, I was busy searching for clock clicking noise. But I think I mean, uh, summaries are think... not for our benefit; they're for our dear listeners. I probably yes. missed some parts of that play, like if I. Uh, if Kitty Frings had had, uh, I don't know, Aliens Land at some point in time, I maybe would have read over that because the play was like a tough one to get through. I thought. I mean, I like I maybe I'll think about like how many like like maybe it's great. Like there are so many like Chekhov's guns 
that don't end up getting fired. Like the angel, like that, like seems yeah, like it's loaded with yeah. like, such potent symbolism. And like, it, they don't even put it on Ben's grave, right? Yeah, no, it's like, like it's just sort of there. Um, so wh- why do you feel like the play, I think it's fair to, I, I think it's fair to say all three of us agree that it, would you say it's boring or a misfire? I don't think it's all boring. And I could see that like, it could be, See, I don't even know if it's a. I think I think it feels out of place. Like I think it read like, and I think partly because it's set sort of longer ago, but it read like some of the plays we read in the twenties and thirties. Which, granted, those were not good plays, but this would have been like on the better end of some of them. I don't know about that. Maybe I don't know. I think it's it's not terrible. It's not good. And I think your question is good, John. That like, is it? boring is it a misfire it's like i know i'm not impressed by it it was hard for me to to place exactly why that was why did you think i mean i think it, it lacks focus and that's sort of what mm-hmm. I, I think was referring to by some of those checkoffs gun things of like but like it's not i'm not clear what it's about like thomas well the novel is like i didn't read it but in some cursory googling like it's thought of as like a Bildung's roman. Wait, what does that mean? Like a coming of age novel. And I don't think you really get a sense of like Eugene growing much. Uh, I did love that. Uh, John, you kind of like uh, breezed over it, but that plot <laughs> <of>, <laughs> I'm serious. The, uh, in the, I guess, third act. So you have this, this romance between Eugene and Laura. The, Eugene is only 17, Laura's 23. They, they say they're two years different than they are closer in age. Anyway, the mother really disapproves of this romance. And then you have that first scene of the third act where they're, they're in bed together or in the bedroom together and they're like expressing their love. They're talking about their marriage and how beautiful it is going to be traveling the world and stuff. And uh, Eugene leaves and then the mother comes into the room to talk to Laura and say, like, you know, fuck no, you're not marrying my son. And Laura's like, don't worry about it. I'm already engaged to someone else. I left him a note. I'm out of here. That, that scene, I don't know. There's something, that was my favorite part of this play. Well, it's strange because I think this is the first thing I've read where I was interested in wondering what the actual source material was like because yeah me too because i do feel like you do get an idea right like you like you said josh this is a building with roman of like what this is what made thomas wolf who he was or you know what i mean this is what launched him into the life of whatever the fuck he did um but yeah it uh it, 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 yeah, it just seemed like a bad misfire. I, I mean, I also think that there's some, there's some interesting things. Like there are some, like, I think what's, what's hard is maybe the novel is great, but there's like some really interesting, like, I almost would have preferred this as like short vignettes of like the boarding house. I mean, and that's not what the play is. So like, it's sort of like pointless, but like, I love Ben and Fatty's relationship. So Ben's his older brother. He's 30. 
he sort of like has this very like lovely sort of contented relationship with I think we heard as a married woman like a sort of a like a fat married woman named Fatty and like and everyone's sort of like don't you want more like don't you want to have and he's like no I like I really I'm really comfortable with this person <laughs> like she makes me really happy um I think like that with a little bit more focus would have been great I think like the mom and like the her relationship with the borders and the family is like really interesting in isolation I think the dad and like his dream of being like a fabled marble. Like, I think all of these pieces, I think it's, I think what I'm trying to say is I think the, the sum is like just a lot less than the, or the, the whole is a lot less than the sum of its parts. Like, I think if you broke this play apart and sort of deconstructed it, there are a lot of really interesting things that could be sort of lovely little short stories or sort of short little one acts. Um, but crammed in there, nothing was really compelling. Like the actual arc is really stupid. And I don't even know what the arc, the arc, like there is no arc. Like, I think actually that's the thing is like, is there an arc? It's Eugene's story. It's him finally getting out of there, I guess is the story. That's, that's another- really, like, He doesn't really I'm, have like agency into the last act. But, but the framing device of the play itself, get, can you guys help me with this? Because the first page, it's like Eugene, imagining this right or it's like i'm writing it down right right so no it's, it's eugene imagining it but then at the end ben is the disembodied voice yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's an epilogue yeah so there's an epilogue where the narrator's dead brother tells him that like he's been oz all along but um, also well, that like the world is not good it. or what the world is there is no world, something like that. It, it is strange that, like, I feel like there's not a lot of art to the play, and that whatever might have really lived in the novel got reduced to like, like crowd pleasing comedy plot points that pushed it along. Yeah. And like, because I mean, there's art in the play, but there's no art to the play. Yeah. I mean, and I could imagine with some like, with some like good, like if you had someone really good as the mom who could imbue her with sort of like a warmth, like if you could put like some of these character roles in the hands of some talented actors, like I could see this sort of succeeding on sheer will and sheer sort of human talent. Um, but I don't think it's a very artful play. Yeah, but you know, it's funny. I, I think a lot of times we'll run into these plays that aren't very good and it'll be like, well, you know, if you just find the right actors, you know, it'll like imbue it with some type of life or something like that. But sometimes, oof, I don't give a fuck who you put into it. It's almost, yeah. But but that is the funny thing. Like a lot of the, the life between uh, the husband and wife it's it's a very one dimensional play in most regards, and then once in a while it will reveal itself or kind of stumble upon profound or interesting things about life. Like, and I, guess, I wonder if that's like the novels or something. Like I'm thinking right now is like, yeah, like I really love the detail of the older brother who comes in as like has a stutter, and we don't really hear much about that, but it's just sort of there. Like I was like, yeah. oh, I love that, but I'm thinking like, oh, it's probably in the book, and like, yeah. Um, yeah, um, the book may be good. I, I think, yeah, but this is not really. Uh, what was your What was your favorite? What was a, What was a favorite element you had of the play? So I think my favorite element 
is probably that relationship between Ben and um, and Fatty. Well, I said I really liked how uh, Laura just like <laughs> just like broke broke his heart, left. I don't know, but then he in the play he didn't linger on that. Everyone was like, "Yeah, you'll get over it quick," and it seemed like maybe he would be moping. But then, like three pages later, he's fine by it. I also liked, and it didn't get pursued, the scene where um, the mother finally convinces the father to sell his marble workshop where he carves the sculptures and the tombstones because she can get like a lot of money for it and then maybe make their lives comfortable. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll sign the papers. He signs the papers, he gets a check, and she's like, okay, give me the check, I'll deposit it, we'll live life. He's like, fuck that, it's my check, we're moving to Chapel Hill, me and Eugene, and I'm gonna like get the fuck out of here. And then she takes a check and ripped it up, rips it up, and he doesn't go. I think I think there is something. It is interesting that the uh, that no one is really that constant in the play. People are allowed to either make strange decisions or go against what they just said. Yet it all does get lost in like I don't know if miasma is the right word, but it's like the yeah. It it all just gets it all gets lost. And I do wonder if it would be interested interesting, like you said, Josh if they were vignettes or how you could do this again, or if like long days journey into night, it should just be fucking banned. But you better be grateful. You will be. No, I was reading this thinking should be grateful. You got to read long days journey into night last week. I don't know. It's two weeks of fucking terrible play. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, there's no comparison. <laughs> I'm trying to think about like what was happening in the world in 19. Like, this play just feels so like, like, what about this play felt compelling in 1958? Yeah, I mean, I think there's I another think... play of it. Sorry, go on. I think a piece of it might be the mythology of who Thomas Wolfe was in the 1950s. I don't know who Thomas uh, Wolfe is. He... <laughs> and neither do you. No, I, I like, know that I know not, the name. Well, he's not. But, like, but, there's, there's, but he's not electric Kool-Aid acid test Thomas Wolfe. <laughs> no, that's that's <laughs> he's not. That's that's Tom Wolfe. <laughs> Uh, no, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. He he probably won politics. He's like you, he won a Pulitzer for this. Did he? Yeah. Um, I guess that's. I guess where the, I heard that. In, so he <laughs> interestingly, Wolf's influence extends to the writings of the Beat Generation, writer Jack he, Kerouac, and authors of Bradbury and Philip Roth. He was he was like a modernist American writer, so he's in like. Um, I don't know, but we talked about it in the 20s, like Virginia Woolf and James Joyce, like those like voices of modernism. And he is he is contemporary with them. He is 
edited by the same guy who edits uh, Fitzgerald and Hemingway, Scribner, Max Perkins. He's like, I don't know, he's a voice of like that like great era in American literature. I haven't read him, but um, this play, I, I mean, this play kind of made me wanted to read the book. So there's that. When did, right, when did this dude die? When did he die? I yeah. don't know. Um, I wonder if he was alive Do you see it, then. Josh? Yeah, he di- he's not alive. He died. Yeah, yeah. He died in 1938. He was young. He lived. He was. He oh, was. Wow. He was born in 1900, and he didn't even live to be 38. Wow. He didn't live to the prime of his life. Um. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about this. It's uh, I, there. It was a musical written about it. Yeah, I would oh. thought you were going to say that. You often say that when we have a bad play. This would make a great musical. I don't think it made it, it. Let's see the musical. Let me find out. Um, I'm uh, sure the musical wasn't any better. I mean, musical called Angel. Um, it featured songs by. It doesn't. Uh, let's see. The musical was savaged by critics and closed on May 13th after only five performances. I mean, I would, yeah. That seems right. I was surprised. So I looked up why this one, I thought like maybe there would be something interesting in that essay about um, uh, the deliberations and the wasn't. The jurors were like, yeah, this is clearly the best play of the year. With pleasure and deep conviction that I recommend this play. The second choice was another Inge play, Dark at the Top of the Stairs, which I'm, I don't know. Um, and there was a play by Doris Gara, which I also don't know. But yeah, they people like this. This ran for like two years on Broadway. This was, It won the drama's desk. It won... Or at least was nominated for a Tony for best. Play. Well, yeah, like, I mean, people like enough, this. People love like young writer victim stories, and like this is how this is what I lived through to become the writer that I am now. And I feel yeah. like there, there, there is that link to me with like Long Day's Journey into Night. You could point out which one is worse, barely, but now, but, but. No, no, but you know what I mean? Like there is there is that same, it's like you could kind of take the play just on its own value of like what it is. But then if you add to that the layer of this person then became a famous writer, like it then it then is imbued with like a certain uh like special. It it becomes more special. Right. And that's maybe what you meant in partially when you would say that like long day's journey in tonight is a dangerous play because it although this probably wasn't influenced by the by it um it's clearly of a form that like you do still see yeah um, there, it, there there is the to me there is the same danger in like you know eugene is right 
he's yeah yeah it's 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 a danger it's a myth-making dangerous play but there are interesting it, it's uh, what it's like a dangerous myth-making oh, play of like we're, we're adding it to the list <laughs> uh, I may be prompted yeah. that. Um, I think it's in my band list. Yeah, I cannot wait for you to start book book burnings. <laughs> what do you mean start? <laughs> um, I I forgot. I was looking at the. I wanted to just be transparent about how I found this out. I was looking through the the run of the song list of the musical, and I saw there was this character I forgot we didn't talk about the 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 madame um who has the dead hooker that she wants to get the angel yeah that was interesting again another really fun character i want to see that but but to me that was that was the most interesting part of the play where you actually had like the collision of what this woman wanted his like uh his insistence upon holding on to the angel his like lashing out at the woman, you know, kind of like judging her for her life or whatever. That was the most interesting part of the play to me. And it just, yeah, like, that was uh, the best scene, I think. And I feel like the strangest thing is the actual writer was the least interesting part of this fucking play. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I had thought it was going to be a play about Ben somehow. Not Eugene. <sighs> um. So obviously, well, I would either be the the madam or fatty. So I just want to be fatty. Um. John would be Mr. Gant. Oh dear. Yeah, I was. I thought I would maybe be Mr. Gant. The he's he's Mr. Gant. I I stopped drinking. He's the oh yeah. Well, old John, when you drank, I, I, I think of you as Luke. Luke stuttering, like, coming back. He stutters, but he seems so. Like, he comes off as such like a sweet little golden boy, and then he says such like he's like, "Ah, oh, mom, it's like the same as always. Like, look, you're not defeating us last. We're your last priority, like always. Ah, oh, thanks, mom." So wait, I have a question. So because we're kind of talking about these like autobiographical plays in a sense, like. When do we start running across modernist, or I don't know the right term for it, where like perceptions of what happened are taken into doubt? You know what I mean? Postmodernism. I think that was um, also thing that happened in Strange Interlude. Yeah, yeah, but I think. Sorry, which one's fucking Strange Interlude? It was like the that was the Eugene O'Neill with the. Voiceover. I think that's still modernism. I think I think we have not arrived at like postmodernism. Well, next week almost we get a, deconstruction. We get a deconstructed play in verse. Oh dear, that might be telling it. the story of Job, called uh, JB. I mean, Stoppard's um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern is like 65, 67, something like that. So we're we're approaching that area. But it, but I guess it's so hard for me because I feel like it's still to this day is like the myth of the author, and it's like their perception of events is never questioned or like. Well, you know? I and think so, that's the thing about like postmodernism where it is questioned. Right. So I was just interested to see like within the structure of the plays and how they're told when we'll start to see that. Um, 
I think I was just looking, very soon we're starting. I'm looking forward to that. You're starting to see that in literature probably within the next, yeah. And we'll see it in plays within the next decade or so. Hopefully, although the Pulitzer may not have liked those type of plays. I mean, I, I think well, we, I, I think you see that in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. But we don't get that. But yeah, you do. We could have. Um, <laughs> and then in two weeks, we get... Um, we get, uh, or in two weeks we get Fiorella, the musical about Guardian. The postmodern masterpiece. Yeah, I'm trying to think like if what like if any musicals do that. I'm they sure do they that. do now, but they do it terribly. Yeah, like doesn't one like next to well, what I'm sure didn't the one that won this year or last year? Um, that's probably postmodernist in a way, oh, yeah. isn't it? It's very it's but, meta. Let me ask this. Do you two understand why people like this play? I, I, I think I... Mm, no. Do you? Hmm. And I, I'm just wondering, you know, because we've been doing this for a while now and there has to be things no, that I, run... I, I, mean, like, I mean, I think if you like, if you're interested in this figure... And you like if this book was beloved, and you like, like I don't know the way fucking people loved that Harry Potter play, um, right? Uh, but also like a play about like a like you have a biopic now about some figure I don't know who we have biopics all the time, right? Like not James Brown, but like who am I thinking? Malcolm X was one that's probably going back a few years. Um, People get biopics now, and like the work really of think art. Of, wait, I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm right. Yeah, I know. Wait, wait. That was strange. You were looking for current <laughs> biopics, and you we went, went back to 1992. Malcolm X. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking who's the guy with the glasses, the the uh, blind guy, Ray Charles, Jamie Foxx. <laughs> yep, yep. Wasn't the there a biopic film, on him? The recent film from 2004. Good okay. Lord. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a good recent biopic. Maybe they well, and there has been a time when biopics were popular, and like the actual picture was pretty shitty, but because it was a famous person. Yeah, that's all the time. That's all the time. So, like, perhaps. Oh, fucking like Rocket Man. Who's oh that uh, Elton John and oh yeah that the um the one uh, Freddie Mercury yeah Freddie Mercury biopic mm -hmm. that's that's the one I should have said the Freddie Mercury can we edit it back <laughs> terrible all right well oh any directorial vision it's all in his head it's a one man show he's just acting out all the parts. So it's a comedy. Could you make it really funny? No. Is it a comedy? It's comedic. I think we take it out to the shed like Old Yeller and let it go. All right. Well, Has there been a production at all recently? Did you look that up? I mean, mostly the, the novel comes up when you look for it. 
I mean, it's like a pretty big cast. You couldn't do it at like a community theater. I don't think his name means much. Oh, let's see. Independent. It was done in the UK recently. I mean, I think part of it is that Thomas Wolfe hasn't had his moment again. As a novelist, too. So this play wouldn't have. Like colleges do it. Okay. Um, damn, it doesn't like have a. Okay. Um, next week we got uh, JB, a play in verse about the story of Job. Is that why I said James Brown, Christopher? It's not why I said James Brown. I was thinking James Brown was uh, Ray Charles. Does James Brown wear glasses too? <laughs> when I think of James Brown, I think of a man not wearing glasses. Yep, nope. I think of a man that wore a cape. Yep. And loved to smoke cocaine. <laughs> um all right. Well on that note. <sighs> Good night, everyone. Escapism. <laughs> Tight with it.